I think learning anything is exactly the, the, the same motivation. If it's something that you love, it's very easy to then put in the effort and the time to figure out what you need to do to get to that point. So video games for me was, oh, actually, I, I can do this. There is an opportunity to write music for games. Lots of people are doing it. How do I get my foot into that door? You are listening to Trinity College London's Music Podcast with me, Francesca Christmas, Director of Music. In this series, I meet composers and arrangers from around the world to talk about their contributions to the broad range of music in the 2023 piano syllabus. Choi is a freelance composer for video games and visual media and has a very interesting backstory to share. We're going to discuss his journey to becoming a composer and how he went about writing two pieces for our 2023 piano books. Welcome, Mark. Hi. Really good to see you. Thank you so much for making time for us today. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. One of the, I think, exciting things about that introduction is that I've introduced you as someone who composes for video games and Mm -hmm. visual media, which perhaps is a slight departure from um, the composers we have historically worked with. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and what your day-to-day looks like. I'm a freelance composer, as you've mentioned. I think my day-to-day is mostly split between three major areas. One is video games so the majority of my focus is in that arena Um, and then I also compose for theatre but very specifically for one particular company and one particular director with whom I've been friends for many years and then the third element of it is the education side so what I've done with Trinity and I'm also doing with um, one or two other institutions as well. I'm really interested to hear about what you what you write, what you write for, how does it work? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that area of your work? My entry into video games was well, started from a very young age. I'm an avid video game player and uh, my my dad would probably not admit to it, but he was one of the reasons as well. I remember waking up um, before school and um, when I was in primary school and just wandering over hearing sounds seeing some pictures like what's going on in the other room and then i'd just catch sight of my father playing some very old like space quest or police quest games but he would always pretend that he was not a gamer and so when he saw me he'd be like no 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 there's nothing to see here it's absolutely fine so i do blame it on him that i have uh, the video game genes but i've always loved um role-playing games in particular Mm -hmm. is probably the biggest part of my gaming diet um, but also narrative adventures uh, is something that I just really love. Mm-hmm. How do you go from uh, being a video games uh, player, which you know, many people, including myself, would admit to, to writing for them? Those two paths were very distinct for a long, long time. And it was only maybe five to ten years ago where I seriously considered, well, the, is there a point of convergence? Can I bring the two together? And there's many, many reasons for that. Firstly, because I wasn't seriously composing for uh, up until maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it hadn't occurred to me that video game composition was, was an option. But the more I thought about it, I think learning anything is exactly the, the same motivation. If it's something that you love, it's very easy to then put in the effort and the time to figure out what you need to do to get to that point. So video games for me was, oh, actually, I I can do this. There is an opportunity to write music for games. Lots of people are doing it. How do I get my foot into that door? And at the beginning, it was a lot of pestering 
programmer friends who kind of expressed a you know a brief side interest in doing something like that and then forcing them to so I could write music for them and, and, and things like that so always making your own opportunities is a, a good op- a good option as well how does it work when you're writing for a video game I I think you know many of us would understand writing for film for example or that you might be thinking about different characters in your music or you might be underscoring a particular dramatic event you know we we sort of have a working understanding of that but how does it work for video games it's all in the hands of the player so fundamentally the way that you think about scoring any scene is to say okay um, we can do things like traditional character themes or uh, main themes or battle themes and stuff however the way that you would write it is always with the perspective of the player in mind so you might enter a scene I might spend five seconds just running through very quickly someone else might spend 10 minutes exploring every nook and cranny and, and really enjoying the, the scenery or, or whatever it may be and so the music has to be an experience where it makes sense for both players yeah. so there's the concept of looping is very important and looping music so that it's seamless and it continues playing. However, um, you don't want it to loop in such a way where players will break immersion by saying, oh, actually, I've heard this piece already. Oh, I'm hearing it again. I'm hearing it again. Now I'm not so interested in the music because it's drawing me away from the experience. So then you start being clever with what we call, I guess, horizontal segmentation. So writing different blocks of music that you can move between. And then things like vertical layering, where you may add or subtract different layers of music in each horizontal sequence to, again, increase the the variety of what a player would hear. So ideally, you would enter a scene. And even if I spend five minutes um, and I spend five minutes again another day in the same area, I would hear completely different music every time. That that really is extraordinary because that that idea that you don't know what the user experience is going to be before you go in. If you if you write for an orchestra or you write for a choir, you know exactly what the user experience is going to be. They're going to sit and listen from beginning to end, right? Or exactly. even if you go to a jazz gig and it's a it's an improvised piece, you know roughly what the um, listener's journey through that is. But but actually, that's a very singular situation where the listener, the audience actually has control Mm -hmm. over what happens sonically around them. That's right. And if you don't give them that control, then you've essentially failed in your task because they need to feel like this is their personal experience. They're the protagonist in the story. Mm -hmm. And so everything needs to match their experience. And that's where the difference is from linear and non-linear media. What are the sorts of skill sets and um, areas of knowledge that you've had to develop to go from being the person who can create the music in their head to making that work for someone playing a video game? Playing video games a lot gives you a lot of insight into how things could be implemented. There are a lot of great um, resources out there where um, composers also share a lot of what they're learning. And I think the video game community is is very much a one that supports each other. So I, I really I really love that. Um, but in terms of how, you know, a lot of the time, the skills are not all that different. It's just the way that you think about composing the piece or the way that you structure it. So for instance, if I'm writing a sonata, it would be, you know, ABA, you've got your exposition, development, your recap. But it's, it's not wildly different. It's just that, okay, let's see what, what do I do on the music? Do I, do I move from this segment to this one? If I move from this segment to this one, 
is it a smooth transition? Do I need to? So how, musically, what's the language that ties it together? And then you could even take an existing piece and try and split it up in a way where you could possibly have it play in out of order and see if it works. And a lot of it is experimentation. There's yeah. trial and error. Um, so a lot of the time I, I write stuff and I remember my very first project just okay, let's just see if it works. And <laughs> and sometimes it's just that, right? You, you learn more by experimenting and doing and failing and then trying again. Um, you can design the best thing, but it's it's still uh, theoretical until it's actually in the game. Um, so I would say it's a mindset shift, but yeah. not really so much a, I need to get better at a particular skill to, yeah. to be a games composer. be really lovely to know how you went about composing for us. Mark has um, written two pieces for the piano books, one at grade two, Learning to Ride, and one at grade eight, A New Adventure. Um, and I, 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 mean, I say this to all of our composers that I chat to, but I mean it every time. <laughs> They're incredible pieces of music. There are going to be a lot of young people who enjoy playing these because they, they do, both of them carry the sort of energy and immediacy of um, the music you write, you know, there is a they're immediately engaging. There are stories behind them to unpick and and decipher. Mm -hmm. How did you how did you go about? Let's talk about the Grey Two Piece first of all, learning to ride. Mm -hmm. How did you start? Where did you pull your ideas from for it? I think the restraints that we had in terms of what you need to do to compose was was very helpful. It was also something I thought a lot about, you know, grade one to eight, I tried to rewind in my head, what was it like when I was learning for it? And the arbitrary, in, at least at the time, the arbitrary nature between each grade. And so that was something I really wanted to study and understand. And as someone who composes for visual media, video games, theater, I always, I have quite a vivid imagination. So when I write, I want the music to be able to paint a very clear picture or evoke some kind of imagery um, in the listener, the player. And so the way that I approached it was, well, what what could I write about that would bring that sort of feeling uh, to, to the and, and really engage the learner? Um, and at the time, my kids were, were learning how to, to ride um, a bicycle. Um, and there are lots of different theories about what's best, but I subscribe to the one where you give them a balance bike, mm -hmm. no training wheels, and so you have the idea of they get used to very early on the idea of you know, moving from left to right and then having that balance as you're, as you're cycling rather than being stable all the way that doesn't give you that sense of, of, of riding. And as I was watching them, I just thought, oh, it's really funny how they're just going from left to right and bouncing their feet down and they're kind of like going along slowly. And that, so that gave me the idea of the, the, the fifths in the left hand, the staccato fifths, and, yeah. and just having that all the way through because they're just really kind of going from left to right. Um, and then the idea that it's quite stop-start as well as they're riding, so a lot of syncopation. I actually put too much syncopation and, <laughs> and kind of changed the rhythm, and, and we had to simplify it because it was great too. <laughs> it's and that's, great too, only, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very uh, good journey for me to understand like how how to effectively but simply communicate something that was vivid in my head um and then there was an element of how can i make it fun as well because yeah. it's great too and they are learning to ride this is not you know all doom and gloom it's, they will get there eventually but they will fall over so i thought well how can i you know, 
share that feeling of splat. You've fallen down, you've hurt yourself. And so the idea of just allowing the player to cluster something at the bottom, whatever they want to do, um, it is chaotic. So it doesn't need to be written. So I just thought I'd put something in like that as well. I am uh, 100% sure that that is going to be really popular with uh, particularly our younger players <laughs> who enjoy a big finish, a big finale, will really enjoy crashing an arm onto the piano <laughs> and it to be legitimate. <laughs> it's okay to do it. <laughs> Mum, it's all right. My teacher said it was fine. Um, it, it's great. And I think what I really loved um, playing through the piece myself was that although it is fun and you know, you're thinking about the story behind it, there's some brilliant technique being developed with that kind of left to right the staccato finger mm -hmm. strength it's you know I'm, I'm a big fan of the sort of you know hide the broccoli <laughs> technique by stealth you know yeah. um, and I think that it will be a great piece for a lot of uh, a lot of young people to to have a go at and enjoy playing and teachers will probably know that at every grade for every instrument we have um, a set of what we call parameters which is basically the sort of construct of the pieces it tells a composer and a teacher and a learner what they'll be expected to do at each grade mm. and there's a real balance I think between making sure those that framework is clear because it has to be fair one grade two piece needs to feel like you know the same sort of um, effort as another grade two piece but without it being too restrictive in terms of what you can do musically or stylistically um, how did you find working with those it was a challenge for sure. I think it was. It just required a lot of experimentation, and you know, as someone who's relatively new to writing to um, like syllabus music, it was very important for me to get that feedback and say, okay, I'm going to try this, but not be afraid to maybe push the boat out a little bit and then maybe pull it back if we needed to. Yeah. It's so nice to have that constraint as well, though, because with the limitation, you can you can actually be more expressive in other ways. Yeah. So I, I really, really enjoyed that. Good. I'm pleased to hear that. I think um, particularly at the lower grades, where it's a short space of time, get your musical ideas sort of out and down on the page, isn't it? Mm. It has to be, you know, there's not time for a long build up. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't got time for the kind of, uh, for a quiet middle section. It's, yeah. you know, it might just be 24 bars of... I will, I will say that actually that piece came really quickly to me and I think part of it was okay knowing that there was the, the constraints but at the same time because I had a very clear idea in my head of what I wanted to convey and mm. was inspired by something that I could see um, I did know that we needed to refine it a bit but once I had the bulk of it down I had this gut feeling that actually most of it is there it's, it's a case of making sure it's right for the the syllabus and write for the learner. Tell us a little bit about A New Adventure at Grade 8. Mm. A New Adventure, that was, uh, I found that quite challenging, at least at the beginning. And I think all composers will appreciate when you have a blank canvas and you start, that's obviously the hardest bit. I must have gone through at least 10 different ideas and I just, I don't know, I just wasn't happy with any of them. I just tried one and thought, oh, this is going to be fine. And then the next day I was like, no, no, this is terrible. And so I really struggled with with getting that first bit in place. Um, I think I, I tend to write quite tonal, um, very melodic music, and I think that's a lot to do with my, my background and all my things that I love. I eventually did settle on a theme that I liked, and then I actually originally created a piece that followed a little bit more of the sonata form. So we have the statement of the, the main theme, and there was actually a development section that 
I went a little, probably a little bit over the top in. And then <laughs> the recapitulation side. Um, unfortunately, it was too long. <laughs> and so we basically cut out the entire development. For me, getting the structure, getting the, the theme stated, and then developing it from there was, yeah. I think once I had the, the main motif down, I was I was happy. Um, and that was all inspired by my, my video game background mm -hmm. mostly. So I wanted it to feel like when you heard the music in a typical role-playing game, you've just set out on your, your new adventure. So the scene has been set, the, the context is all in place, the story, the world building has begun. Yeah. And now you're about to embark on this, this big, riotous, heroic journey. And so it wanted that feeling of very kind of solid main theme just grow from there, really. That's so interesting to hear you describe it like that, because when I played it through, it really felt like the sort of big exposition at the beginning of a film or something, setting the tone for a big, big storyline. Mm. It's got sort of a very romantic feel in places, hasn't it? Beautiful, yeah. strong melodies. Mm. And that's I, I, I can absolutely hear that now in the context of beginning of a game, mm. the hero sets off type yeah. thing. Exactly. That's very interesting <laughs> to hear. Did you have a sort of story in mind as you as you wrote it? Yeah, I, I guess uh, the closest thing I could imagine to it would be something like a, a dragon quest. Wow. Um, and that's a, that's a Japanese role-playing game series, but they follow quite a formulaic um, plot line in general. But for me, it was like the image of that, the hero, and then it, it wouldn't have to be anything in particular, but it was just that imagery of rolling hills, the castle in the background, you know, the sun, you know, the uncharted territory in front of you, the unknown future, all that kind of feeling of, right, let's go and, and, and embark on this journey together. So it wasn't any particular plot line. It was more like a clear image, almost like concept art from which I derived. For any teacher considering doing this with a student, I think that's playing them that clip of your view, your sort of the inspiration behind it. It's hugely important because by the time you're a grade eight pianist, you have, you know, I mean, you're good. A grade eight pianist will often have a real sense of identity. They'll be able to interpret. They'll be able to think emotively about the music they're playing. And I think to hear that and understand that before they embark on the piece is really, really important. What a lovely scene to set. And the way that I wrote it was I wanted to have a bit of part playing in the right hand. So you've got the theme, but you've also got you know some motion in the lower fingers and then the accompaniment in the left. And then I wanted to make sure that uh, there's an opportunity to bring out the melody in both the right and left hand. So in, I guess, what you would call the bridge section after the first statement of the main theme, there's a section where there's an octave jump and then the theme is actually in the left hand. And so that's probably one of the more challenging bits, mm. I guess, because you don't normally you know, bring out the theme in left hands. Yeah. Um, so it was a nice opportunity to say, you know, let's have it sing, and then you can have the accompaniment in the right hand as well. Okay. And then I put a lot of octaves in there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Goodness, it's lovely to get your hands around some big octaves, big sounds like that, which is entirely fitting for your piece. I would heartily recommend everybody checking out uh, Learning to Ride and A New Adventure is two beautiful pieces for learners to play and explore. Um, and I think there are going to be, uh, I think we'll, we'll hear that a lot on our exam videos and in the exam room we'll hear your pieces played a lot, I think. Thank you so much.
So for a lot of our listeners, we'll have a lot of teachers listening at the moment, um, and they'll be wondering how you went from, well, watching your dad play video games on the quiet in the morning to the musician you are now. How did you get there? Who helped you along the way? I started, well, I was a classically trained pianist, and I think my first influence must have been my sister, because without her learning, um, my parents wouldn't have known that I loved playing because all I did was interfere with her every time she played. <laughs> and I was only four at the time. And I kept playing and kept playing. And they thought, oh, okay, he actually loves the piano. So let's get him lessons. So I started at a very young age, but progressed really quickly because I just, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And the way that um, music is taught <laughs> classically um, actually really fit in with the way that I like to learn. And so it was a perfect match of, I found a motivation I really loved it. The teaching was right for me. And then I continued. But in terms of influences, I have so many from my early piano playing days. And the first one was um, a matriarch of Ealing. I grew up in Ealing and everyone in Ealing knew Eileen Rowe. She ran a music school uh, for 75 years until her death at the age of 93. And everyone who learned the piano essentially learned with her or someone in her stable of teachers. Um, massive influence for me just the most incredible presence um, strict but also kind um, and yeah I think that really shaped me my early years and then I followed up with someone called Danielle Salomon who was a teacher in, in the school as well and yeah she taught me so much about express expressive playing um, you know bringing out melodies she had beautiful technique and and yeah, I just marveled listening to her. And I think when you have such great examples in front of you, you just want to aspire, you strive to that level. And so it just inspires you to practice as well. And then my long-term teacher was Christopher Elton, who was the head of keyboard at the Royal Academy of Music for many, many years. He obviously had a, a huge influence on me as well. He used to sing as like under his voice, but he used to sing as I as I played. And I was, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I remember that so much though, but it kind of made, me sing inside as well as I was playing and I think that inspired me to be more expressive in my in my performance and I would also like to mention Robin Wedderburn who was my violin and music teacher at St Paul's where I went to secondary school he yeah he was just the most generous and kind um, teacher he really inspired me on the outside of the performance aspects of it on the composition and he was very encouraging on all the different things that I did he knew that piano was my main focus, but he, you know, teaching me the violin, broadening my perspective and my skills was something that he just generously offered. And how lovely and how nice to name check those people, <laughs> as, you know, points of inspiration along your journey. Absolutely. So you went, you studied music at school, then you went and studied at music college, and you studied composition. Well, I, well, I didn't. So <gasps> this is where didn't. this is where um, oh, a twist the journey in the takes story. Uh, okay. yeah, a vivid turn. Um, yeah, so I actually had the choice between continuing with Christopher at the Royal Academy, um, but I also had a place to do computer science at Cambridge, Clare College, Cambridge. And at that time, this was before the internet was prevalent. This was before YouTube was even the seed of an idea in anyone's mind. And so my decision point at that juncture was, do I want to be a concert pianist or not? Yeah. And then I looked at what I was doing compared to some of my peers at the academy you know, I was practicing maybe half an hour a day. I was more interested in playing football at the time. And they were, you know, four to six hours after school. 
And I just thought, well, if I'm being honest to myself, this is probably not the path that will bring me the most joy in the near or medium term future. So I thought, why don't I just get my degree? And I got an instrumental scholarship at Cambridge as well. So I ended up playing a lot of chamber music. And so let's study and do music at the same time. And I think that became the theme of my life for the next, I would know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So I ended up working in a lot of tech startups as a software consultant, mostly. And then as a composer, I discovered things like digital audio workstations like Cubase, notation programs like Sibelius, and software samplers like Contact. And then started thinking, well, actually, I can start composing, you know, maybe not hyper-realistic orchestral music, but it's starting to sound a lot better than it used to um, without having to depend on you know, notating on paper or recording sessions with ensembles. Mind you, nowadays I love recording live music and putting and layering on top of my compositions or maybe even full yeah. live recordings. I'll never be beaten, but it was just one of those things that opened my mind mm-hmm. to think, oh, actually, you know, composing is now a completely different ballgame. And so I started pursuing, um, I guess, ways to make money as from my hobby of composing. Yeah. And that led me to um, production music. So I ended up writing library music for um, EMI and BMG and just a bunch of different uh, places. And I thought, actually, this is this is starting to feel like something I really want to do a lot more seriously. I did not expect that twist in the tail. <laughs> That's, and there's, some, there's a really important message in there, isn't there? Because I think we spend, as teachers and educators, we spend quite a lot of time extolling the virtues of music because of um, you know the role in the industry it can give you or the fact it can be a profession or you know I think and all of those are very valid reasons for doing music but actually doing music because you love it and it might be part of your life in some way or another for Mm -hmm. the next 40 50 60 years is equally as valid Mm -hmm. and it just so happens that you found it again to to the extent you could make your living from it which is incredible but Mm. Even if you hadn't have done that, you would be an informed, joyful musician. Yes, exactly. Doing it alongside your whatever else, you know, your startup tech millionaire work, whatever it (laughs) might be, you know. Um, So and I I think that's that that for me is a really important message that, yes, music is important because it can be and it wonderfully is for you a profession, Mm. but also because it's it's part of life. Mm. something you love something you want to do then it should be something that we enable as many young people to do as they as they can this has been such an interesting discussion thank you so much we've covered so much um is there something that you'd like to leave our listeners with a note of inspiration uh, advice a final thought what would you leave us with I think it's open-mindedness and curiosity towards music. What uh, people enjoy listening to and enjoy playing is changing so rapidly at the moment. So today's classical music, if, if say in 50 years time people look back and say classical music might have a very different definition than it does today. And I just would encourage learners to really be open-minded to pursue genres that they love. You know, we are all the sum of our quirky um, things that we like. When we're all so unique in the way that we love and interpret music, so I would really encourage you know, learners to pursue that, embrace all of that, 
transcribing things that you love. Um, I think that's a great way to learn is to listen and and then you're motivated to play something that you've transcribed because you actually love it. And similarly for for teachers, I think to embrace that the change in the way that and I think the way that the syllabus is encouraging that is brilliant. Embracing that uh, this change is definitely going to happen, and taking the perspective of well, yes, the your your learners are in the right, I guess, and 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 working with them to figure out what their uh, musical jigsaw puzzle looks like that makes them so so special. I think a lot of people will be curious to hear more of your music now. Now they've heard you talk about it, where can we send them to find more of your music? My main website is www.choibi.com, um, and that has links to my my showreel, my other music, and my YouTube videos as well. If you would be interested in listening to that, yeah. And I also you can find me on Spotify. I also have a Bandcamp page. Thank you, Mark. It's been brilliant. <laughs>